All right, summertime blues, summertime blues. If you're going to put something on social media, the hashtag is summertime blues. And if you would like notes of this sermon, or if you want to communicate with us in any way, use the email address up on the screen. When everything seems to be against you, how do you keep moving forward? I mean, everything might not be against you, but it feels that way. When you feel that way, when you get discouraged, how do you keep your chin up? How do you maintain a positive outlook on life? How do you persist in the face of opposition? How do you persevere when it just feels like you're taking two steps back or five steps back instead of ten steps forward? You know, I have to constantly remind myself, and I'm sure you do too, that life is a marathon. It's not a 50-yard dash. One of the things that I love about the culture that God has created for us here at the bridge is that we have gotten to a place in our perspective on you and, and church and being a Christian. We're not nearly as concerned about where you've been or what you've done as we are about where you're going. The primary desire that we have for you as church leadership here at the bridge is that you finish well. What's done is done. What matters most now is the direction of your life from this point on. We want to make sure you make it to the finish line, but not just make it to the finish line, but make it to the finish line with your head up with your head held high. One of the marks of spiritual maturity, one of the marks of emotional maturity is that you're not only a good beginner, a good starter, but you are a good finisher. Along the journey of life, too many people just fade out. They fall by the wayside and leave a life of unfinished projects unfinished ideas, unfinished dreams. Did you know that making a commitment to begin something is the easy part? Getting in is a lot easier than getting out. Getting started is a lot easier than finishing well. It's always easier to get into a marriage than to get out of one. It's always easier to get into debt than to get out of debt. It's always easier to get into a relationship than to get out of one that is not good for you. Boy, this one's so true, isn't it? It's a lot easier to fill your calendar than it is to fulfill your calendar. And the people said, it's a lot easier to, I don't know, do y'all relate to this one? It's a lot easier to add weight than to lose weight. Krispy Kreme is much more effective than the gym. <laughs> Amen? Who's with me out there? I tell you, that whole business of losing weight, wow, that's a sweaty business. Why is it that most people don't finish what they start? One of the biggest reasons, not the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons, and the one we want to deal with in this sermon series, is discouragement. Discouragement 
is universal. We all deal with it. You know, we talked about doubt in our last series, and what was true of doubt is true of discouragement. We all deal with it, no matter where you are with God, no matter where you are spiritually. We all deal with discouragement at one level or another. It's universal, but it is also contagious. You remember the 12 spies that were sent into the land to spy out the land? How many of you all remember that old story back in Exodus? And they came back, and ten of, two of them said, we can do it. We can overcome. We can win. And ten of them said, we can't. We cannot do it. Hey, hey, there are giants in the land, and they don't like us. They're against us. And the Bible says that the message of the two men of faith didn't get anywhere, but the message of discouragement and fear spread like wildfire throughout Israel. This whole thing of discouragement is very contagious if you're not aggressive, if you're not intentional in how you respond to discouragement, it'll devour your time, it'll waste your life, you'll end up surrendering to it, giving in to it. Today I want to talk to you about a few reasons why we get discouraged. Next week we'll talk about some of the devastating effects that discouragement can have on you, but today we want to talk about things that cause reasons for discourage you discouragement and you may not be particularly discouraged right now in your life you know what I would uh, I would be sure as I'm sure you would that somebody here is discouraged today somebody here is battling you might remember a time when you were battling but today you're doing pretty well but whether you are discouraged this morning or not I want to tell you you will be at some point, and you're going to need this message. You're going to need these principles. One writer said, life is not all sunshine and roses. All of us have up days and down days. And we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah. So if you want to follow along in your Bible with me, um, electronic, or how many, anybody got an old school Bible? Just hold that old school Bible. Who's got a big Bible? <laughs> I like big Bibles, and I cannot lie. Big Bibles, I like them. That's awesome. Just kind of show it to the devil, you know. And then some of you are such Bible scholars, it's all right here, isn't it? You got it right here. But we're going to camp out in the book of Nehemiah. We'll go to other places, but the heart of our message will come from Nehemiah because he provides us with many godly, life-changing principles. I chose Nehemiah as an example in this series because he demonstrates to us a persistent determination to complete his goals in spite of much external pressure against him and much internal pressure, probably internal in the sense of the Jews uh, push back on the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. But not only did the Jews push back, but probably internally within Nehemiah were, were negative thoughts and doubts that crept in. One of the things I love about Nehemiah and I love pointing out is that he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't reverend, ordained, got my papers, Nehemiah. He was a layman in the church, if you will, if I can use that language. Of course, that was a whole different economy back then in relation to the church and how the church functioned. But Nehemiah was, he was one of you. 
He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a staff member. He wasn't uh, official, you know. He was just a, a servant in God's church. And he did awesome, amazing, incredible things to the point that he has his own book in the Bible. And so Nehemiah is just showing us how you can win, how you can push through in the face of discouragement. The accomplishment of his God-given goals resulted in the Jews being encouraged. It resulted in the Jews being rehabilitated. It resulted in the Jews becoming optimistic about their future rather than discouraged. When the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, and let me just give a quick background on that, and there's so much teaching I could do here about the book of Nehemiah. We don't have the time. What I hope you will do over the next four weeks is go to the book of Nehemiah. It's not a long book. It's a very short book, but it's a very exciting book. And we're going to deal primarily with about the first six chapters in this sermon series. But it's an easy book to read and, and uh, an exciting book to read. And so I would encourage you to get into the book of Nehemiah. But in chapter 1 and chapter 2, it just all begins with um, Nehemiah going to view the walls of Jerusalem after the Babylonian invaders. Y'all remember Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian invaders going in and, and invading God's holy city. And it was because of the sin of his people and their disobedience. How many of you know when we disobey and we, when we sin against God, we are vulnerable to the Nebuchadnezzar's? who can come in and bring destruction in our life. We make ourselves vulnerable, and that's what happened. And Nehemiah is moved on by God to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I love the language Nehemiah uses when he describes why he must go back. I tell you, um, the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to talk about discouragement and how he overcame it in this series, but he is an incredible leader. The book of Nehemiah, if, you, if there was an overall theme, it would just be the leadership of this man and how he stood before the people and cast a vision for walls rebuilt. He said the way it is now, the city of God being in, in trash and, and rubble, it needs to be rebuilt because the way it is now, it brings a reproach against the name of our God. Let's rebuild these walls, an awesome book, a powerful book, a book that's easy to preach on, as you can tell. But when the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem began, it all started great. It all started off really well. Everybody was enthusiastic. Their heart was into it. As a matter of fact, let's look at the scripture that says that. Nehemiah 4 and 6 says, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. So they're about halfway up with the wall. For the people had a mind or a to work. They were encouraged. They were positive. They had a positive view, a positive outlook. But about halfway through the project, discouragement began to set in, and the Jews thought, this project's too big. This is too hard. This is too difficult. And Nehemiah, his task became, how do I encourage a group of God's people who are discouraged and want to give up on his work? They want to quit. How do I lead them to finish well what God called them to do? And they obeyed and started well. It all started great. How do I get them to finish well? And there are millions of people 
who never make it to the finish line because of discouragement. People often throw in the towel halfway through a marriage. People often, often throw away the towel or throw in the towel halfway through a career or a semester at school or halfway through a life. I've heard they call that midlife crisis. Not that I would know anything about it. And the men said, amen. My guess is that during these dog days of summer, did y'all feel that North Carolina humidity when you were kind of coming up this morning? And these dog days of summer, we're kind of halfway through the year, and maybe some of you have thought about giving up on a goal. Maybe some of you have thought about giving up on a vision or a dream or a relationship or a project, something. You're halfway through the year, and the year started off great, and you remember New Year's Eve, and you remember the next day, and you remember the sermon series about planning our year and having dreams and praying that God would do certain things, and you started off the year very encouraged, but now we're about halfway through, and you've kind of let some things go and gotten a little discouraged. You wonder even if God hears you. So let's look at some relevant factors that led to the discouragement of God's people in the book of Nehemiah. And let's consider how they apply to us today. Number one reason for discouragement, I don't know that it is the number one reason, but it's the first one we're going to deal with today. And this is very relevant to you, and that is exhaustion. Does anybody know about exhaustion? Come on, y'all are too tired to raise your hand. <laughs> exhaustion, just exhausted. In the book of Nehemiah, an entire nation was trying to remove the wreckage left behind from the Babylonian invasion, and they were trying to rebuild these giant walls. I mean, first you got to clean up the mess. you got to clean up the mess left behind by uh, the enemies of God. And after you've cleaned up the mess, then you got to rebuild. And again, in the beginning, it seemed like it would work, but about halfway through, they just ran out of steam. They were tired. Look at verse 10, Nehemiah 4 and 10. Then the people of Judah began to complain. You know, that's one of the symptoms of being discouraged. That's one of the symptoms of being tired. They began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble, not Barney rubble, but so much wreckage, so much garbage, so much trash that the enemy left behind to be removed. We will, here it comes, here it comes. This is discouragement right here. We will, what's the next word? We will never. You know, that's, um, we don't need to use those kind of words very often in our vocabulary, especially as Christians. We will never be able. I know God told us to. But evidently God has let us down because even though he told us to, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. They're physically exhausted. They're weary. They're worn out. They're worn down. The same thing happens to us. We just run out of energy. When you're exhausted and you don't stop to rest, you will become discouraged. You will lose your motivation. Studies over and over and over 
that are done, recent ones and ones in the recent past, prove that most Americans are sleep-deprived. And I know that's true because some of you catch up on it on Sunday. Sometimes at home, sometimes here. I heard about a preacher one time who dreamed he was preaching, and he woke up, and sure enough, he was. <laughs> That's terrible when you're so boring, you put yourself to sleep. But listen to me, church, if you are physically running on empty, how many of y'all remember that old Jackson Brown song? You want me to sing a couple bars? No. If you're physically running on empty all the time, then you will soon be running on empty emotionally. If you're running on empty physically, you'll begin to run on empty emotionally and spiritually. Remember this. This is so important. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. I want to set you free. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is close your eyes and get some sleep. Sometimes that is the most, see, we think we're being, you know, especially y'all out there, and that was a little southern word I threw out there for you people from foreign countries like New York and California. Some of you, some of y'all, I was walking around the church this morning and go, how's everybody? Everybody all right? Everybody, all y'all all right? But you were brought up in a, in a generation where you got your self-esteem, you got your uh, pride, you got your belief in yourself from how much work you do. And that, look, that's great. Man, I wish there was a revival of people who wanted to work and not get stuff for free. Did I say that out loud? I wish there was a revival of that. Amen. But I got to tell you guys, the other end of that pendulum is just as bad when you work so much and you're not resting. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is get some rest. I've been working in churches all my life. When I was born, my mom was in the church. Pretty soon my dad gave his heart to the Lord. He was in the church. I grew up in church. I got to tell you, in my years in church and my years as a pastor, there have been times I've wanted to pull people into a side room who were saved, but boy, they were aggravated and aggravating. And I wanted to say to them, I tell you what, before you do anything else to serve God, go home and get a nap so you will have the nature of Jesus rather than the nature of the devil. Did I say that out loud? I'm telling you, how many of y'all run into people in church, I'm working hard for Jesus. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Did you know that one of the Ten Commandments says, get some rest? One day a week is supposed to be for rest. See, a lot of you think keep the Sabbath holy and all of that and go to church, but some of you work harder on Sunday and Sunday afternoon than you do any other day of the week. He's talking right there, especially in the New Testament economy. He's talking about pulling aside some time to only focus on Him and to spend some time in meditation and spend some time in thought. If you want to know about how we ought to be resting, go to the 23rd Psalm. You remember that one? He teacheth me to lie down. He not only teaches you to work and, 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 and labor in his kingdom and strive to do his will and build his kingdom, but he says there's a time to rest. 
How many of you know Jesus did that? Jesus didn't only teach it and preach it, he did it. He would, the Bible says in many places, it says he, he went aside or he went to a quiet place. Jesus knew the value of rest. So remember, when you don't rest, you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And there, there are people sitting here who go, I'd never kill, I'd never steal, I'd never commit adultery, I'd never take the Lord's name in vain. I'm telling you right there in the middle of all those is get some rest. And we're not cursing and we're not committing adultery and we're not murdering and we're not stealing and we're not doing those things. But you know what we are doing? We are working ourselves into a state where we are not effective for the kingdom of God. Exhaustion will cause discouragement. How many of you remember Vince Lombardi? Or remember hearing about him? The great coach of the Green Bay Packers won that first Super Bowl and was a coach, a great coach. And he said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And when you're physically worn out, problems are magnified. Have you ever noticed when you're tired, your imagination for, for problems is just, it's just magnified? Where if you had, had gotten some rest, you wouldn't view that problem the way you're viewing it. Have you ever noticed when you get a good night's sleep, a situation looks so much better in the morning. I mean, you can go to bed thinking, I can't handle it. The bills are too high. There's not enough time. There's no solution to my situation. And you just get some rest. And then you're able to look at it. I mean, it's amazing how it just looks different the next day. Some of you need to do that. God loves us enough that he gave us life in 24-hour increments. I'm so glad he didn't give it to us all at once. That's why he said in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow because guess what? Tomorrow hadn't come yet. He said, you got enough real stuff happening today. Don't reach into tomorrow at what might happen and pull that into today. And then he says in Psalms, God says in Psalms, that the reason we don't need to reach into tomorrow and pull stuff that could happen, it hasn't even happened, we don't know if it's going to happen, we just go ahead and think it might, so we go ahead and get it and pull it into today. That's called worry. And when you do that, the Bible says your body, your frame is not made to handle it. That's why we break down. That's why we break down emotionally. That's why we break down physically. Get some rest and take life one day at a time. Farmers, how many of you grew up on a farm? Got any farmers here today? How about anybody farm? God bless you, all you who, man, I, I, there was a time in the history of this church, about 90% of the people would have raised their hand that they're farmers. It's a different day, isn't it? But I grew up farming and they tell me farmers that are good farmers know that if they will rotate their crops, if they will let land rest for a year, even land, the dirt, just let it rest for a year, they tell me that the crops are much more productive, much larger. I didn't know about this man until I studied for this sermon, and his name is Frederick Taylor, and he is my new hero. Around 1893, Mr. Taylor did the very first scientific study on the, mag on the management of efficiency and effectiveness. 
So he did a study to find out what can we do that makes us more efficient and more effective in the work world. And he carried out this research in a steel mill. And his research proved that workers who take breaks throughout the day. How many of you are liking this guy? Workers who take breaks throughout the day are far more productive than people who simply work straight through. He is the inventor, and this is my opinion, of the coffee break. I love him. How many of you love Frederick Taylor? How many of you didn't know about him, but you love him now? Amen. He found out that in the business world, rest means profit. Rest means profit. Um, have you ever heard of a company in Cary called SAS? Anybody ever heard of that company? I have put in, I, I've just got to admit something publicly. I've put in a bunch of applications to get a job there. Ever since I found out that they have little rooms that their employees can go in during the day and take naps. I want to work there. And I want to tell Jim Gilligan, who is our administrator, that the next time we do any kind of construction, I want some nap rooms built. <laughs> now, if my staff could get up here and say to you the truth, they would say, you do it now in your office. <laughs> because you got a sign on the door that says you're praying, and you must pray laying on your back looking up at the ceiling. <laughs> got to get some rest. The Bible tells us that we are vulnerable to the enemy when we don't rest. Deuteronomy 25 and 18. It's talking about the enemy attacking uh, the children of Israel. He says, they attacked you when you were exhausted. The enemy attacked you when you were exhausted and weary and they struck down those who were because of their tiredness because of their weariness they were straggling behind he said that's when the enemy came and got you God reminded the Jews that the enemy was successful when they attacked you at your most vulnerable point and that is fatigue you're run down you're exhausted fatigue exposes us to all kinds of attacks that you would not normally be vulnerable to You can be vulnerable when you're tired that if you had had rest, you would be able to handle it. For instance, we know, and we have doctors who come to our church, and we have medical professionals who come to our church, but you don't have to be a medical professional to know that when your body doesn't get enough rest, you're more vulnerable, more susceptible to a virus or an infection. God says we need to remember that when we're exhausted, that's when the enemy comes. He comes physically, so he can attack us emotionally and relationally and most of all, spiritually. When you run down, Satan will come with temptations that you would not normally be vulnerable to, but because you're not rested, because you're tired, because you're exhausted, now you're vulnerable to that temptation. And that brings us to the second reason for discouragement. And that is to be overwhelmed, to feel overwhelmed, to have a sense of being overwhelmed. Feeling overwhelmed leads to short fuses, doesn't it? And the wives said amen. 
When you feel overwhelmed, you're far more easily aggravated and agitated and frustrated. And this moves you quickly to discouragement because when you're tired and you attack the people you love because you're exhausted, discouragement sets in because a broken relationship that you really need to be healthy and strong, now it's broken and there's division. And so one thing leads to another and it's a downward spiral in your life. Feeling overwhelmed comes from a sense that there are too many demands on you. Nothing's working out the way I planned. And I'm helpless to do anything about it. When I feel overwhelmed, that's how I feel. I feel like I can't, I, I, the, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. The more I try, the further away it seems. You can imagine when they got started on this project of reconstructing the walls of Jerusalem. First they had to clear out all that trash and all that garbage and all that rubble that was left over from the invasion. And now I know, want you to notice, we've already looked at it, but let's look at it again, that they were overwhelmed. Look what they said in Nehemiah 4.10. There is so much rubble to be moved, we will never be able to build the wall. They feel overwhelmed. They had already made progress, but suddenly they're just tired, and tiredness led to a sense of, we can't do this. I want to give you very quickly, before we move on to the third reason, I want to give you very quickly three rules of the mess. Three rules of the mess. Messes, it's not going to come up on the screen, messes are a part of life. Listen to me. They were trying to build something, that's why there was a mess. If you're trying to build something... If you're trying to build a marriage, if you're trying to build a, a career, if you're trying to build a business, if you're trying to build a relationship, if you're trying to build a ministry, if you're trying to build something, listen to me, there's going to be a mess. There's always a mess at a construction site. Isn't that true? We're about to do some major renovations right over here to add offices for our staff. And you're going to see signs that say, pardon the mess and pardon the construction. You're going to see construction equipment sitting around where usually it's all clear and clean. We're going to have to kind of put it up against the wall and put little barriers around it. Because anytime you're trying to build something, there's always going to be a mess from that. So messes are a part of life. You can't build anything, including your life, without some junk piling up over time. Garbage always accumulates. I don't care who you are. It's a part of life can't be avoided. Number two, these are the rules of the mess. Stop and do some spring cleaning. You know you have to stop when you're working and when you're building and when you're working and building, you have to stop and clean. You have to stop. You have to, I've seen construction workers go, okay, guys, come, come down from the hammer and nail and let's clean up some of this stuff. Because we can't really go on with the building until we clean up some of the junk that we've kind of thrown out in the yard and all these boards with nails. They've got to clean up some stuff. So you might have to clean up some bad relationships you're in. Can I preach? You might need to clean up your schedule. Can I tell you something? Can I set you free? You may say no. You can say no. You don't have to say yes to everything. Clean up your schedule. You may have, when you were fired up for God and fired up in your walk with God, you may have gotten away from some poor habits, some bad habits. 
But time has gone on and things have become more normal and you've creeped back into some bad habits. Listen, you might need to clean them, them up. You can't build anything unless you stop and do some cleaning. There will always be something weighing you down, keeping you from moving forward. You've got to clean it up. The third rule of the mess is you got to constantly and consistently evaluate your life and act. It's one thing to evaluate. Have you all seen that commercial where the guy is, um, he comes into the house and he's, he's a pest control guy, but he says he doesn't fix the problem. He just tells you if you have a problem. Have you all seen that commercial? That's what a lot of us do. We we evaluate and we go, oh man, I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta stop, I gotta start, I gotta clean up, I, I gotta do, and we don't act. So do the evaluation. Even better, let the Holy Spirit do the evaluation. And then when you when you see those things that need to be cleaned up, you have to act on them. You ever cleaned out a garage? You go back a month later, you go, what happened? What happened to this? It was so clean. It seemed like yesterday, and then you realize it was about a month ago, and it's junky again. So let me just ask you, what is the rubble in your life? What is the junk, the garbage, the trash? I'll tell you what it is. It's anything that's keeping you from being what God has called you to be, being the person God's called you to be and do what he's called you to do. It's the stuff you keep tripping over. If you don't clean it up, you're going to just keep tripping over that same stuff. Bad relationships, bad habits. Clean them up. Number three reason for discouragement is disappointment. In the book of Nehemiah, the Jews thought their plan was going to go a certain way. Have you ever been like that? Have you ever thought, okay, we're going to do this and this and this and it's going to work out like this? And they thought they were going to do it in a certain way. They thought it was going to turn out a certain way. They thought it was going to take a certain number of days. And how many of you know when you build something, it always takes longer than you thought? How many of you know when you work with somebody to build you a house or build a building, that it's always cost more than you thought it was going to cost? How often does that happen? Every time. Every time. Every single time. They thought they'd finish the project a certain way. They thought they'd finish it in a certain time. But it didn't work out the way they planned. And disappointment sets in. Look what it says again, Nehemiah 4.10. We cannot rebuild the wall. We can't rebuild it. Another version says, we'll never be able to do this. We'll never be able to complete it. They're discouraged. They're disappointed. They felt like failures and disappointment set in because their project didn't happen when, didn't happen as quickly, didn't happen as easily as they thought it would. How do people usually handle disappointment? How do you handle it? You know, most of the time when we're disappointed, we either blame other people or we get angry at ourselves, or we do a combination of the two. The problem with both these reasons is that we can easily end up discouraged. When you uh, we need to accept that disappointment is a fact of life for everyone. And that kind of goes back to the, the rules of the mess. You have to understand, listen, you're not going to go through life and not have disappointment. 
You say, but I'm a person of great faith, and I'm a person who has, uh, I fast, and I pray, and I pay my tithes, and I serve, and I do everything I know to do. But you live here. You live in this world. I love what one fellow said. He said, if at first you don't succeed, welcome to the human race. Amen? (laughs) Welcome to the human race. You're going to fail. It's not going to work out every time. There are going to be failures. Joyful people. Joyful people understand that disappointments are only temporary setbacks. When you see people who are not joyful, they usually have accepted disappointment as just how it's always going to be. Joyful people don't let disappointments control their lives. And when you have a disappointment in life, remember, everybody deals with them. Bring all of them to God and let Him help you work through the disappointment. Number four, and in closing, exhaustion, overwhelmed, disappointment, and you got to put this one in there, fear. When the Jews went back to rebuild the wall, they encountered not only um, uh, the internal battles within their own heart and mind with all the disappointments and the setbacks, and not only did Nehemiah have to deal with the complaining of the people, the Jews, but now there's this whole other group in that same community who don't want them to rebuild the walls. So they got internal opposition, and now they've got external opposition. They've got people complaining and People coming against them. And I want you to look at three ways that the enemy tried to stop them. Number one, they criticized them. Look what it says in Nehemiah 4, 1 and 2. The enemy said, what are these miserable Jews doing? Do they think they can get everything back to normal overnight? Making, make building stones out of make-believe. Who are these people? Who are these fools? They're foolish. Who likes to be criticized? What's the answer to that? Nobody. If you are here today and you like to be criticized, we will pay for professional counseling for you. We'll pay for it because you've got psychological problems. Nobody likes criticism. How many times have you given up on an idea, a dream, a calling, a ministry because somebody criticized you and fear set in? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to step out there. I'm not going to do this creative idea. I'm not going to do this out-of-the-box idea. I've got I've to fit into what everybody else is doing. Am I preaching up here? I, got, I can't really do anything creative. I can't really do anything out of the box because somebody might criticize me. How many of y'all think we might have gone through some of that here at the bridge in this community? But you have to press on. You have to do what God has called you to do. Criticism is going to come. The fear of being criticized has kept more good things from happening in this world than you can imagine. The greatest thing that could ever happen in your life may never happen because you fear somebody's going to criticize you. We've got to get past that. If you've heard from God, if you know it's God, persist, persevere, press on. He'll reveal himself to you. I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say. It doesn't take much size to criticize. Anybody can do it. There are professional criticizers. Have you all met them? 
They're pros. The next thing that they faced was mockery. The enemy mocked them. Look at Nehemiah 4 and 3. They said, even what they are building, this is the enemy talking, even what these Jews are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break down their stone wall. He would break their stone wall down. They ridiculed them. They made fun of them. Some of you sitting here right now, you faced, um, you faced a life of ridicule. You faced a life of ridicule. Maybe, maybe that's how your parents were parented. Maybe that's how your parents were motivated to do things. And now they just took that right on. It goes back to our series where we talked about the generational curses. And you might be battling with the ridicule that has come your way. And, and your parents did the best they knew how. And they thought, well, that's how mom motivated me. So I'm going to And so ridicule has a very powerful effect on your life and your dream may not come true because you are so afraid of the mockery and the ridicule and being belittled that you don't follow through on your calling, you don't follow through on your dream. I believe that's a word for somebody today. God says press through that. Trust me. Don't be afraid. Don't let it paralyze you. Don't get discouraged. And then finally, number three, they threatened them. They threatened their physical they threaten their health. They threaten their life. And as we look around at the current events of our day, we are seeing that that possibility is more and more in this world, isn't it? We live in a violent time. Nehemiah 4.11 says, Our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Now, i got to tell you, out of the three reasons, out of the three uh, things that cause them to fear. This one, I think, is pretty legitimate. Somebody says they're going to kill you. That'll cause some fear. I don't know what will happen before this world is over and Jesus comes, but I think even that one will become more and more prominent in these last days. So as, as we've gone through these four reasons for being discouraged, we're not saying today that you don't have a legitimate reason to be discouraged. You may be here and be discouraged, and your reason, if I were to hear it, tears might flow down my face, and I would say, if anybody has a right to be, you have a right to be, and we're going to get discouraged. But you have to ask yourself, and hey, listen, I have to ask myself, am I going to allow this negative thought pattern, this negative situation to paralyze me? So that I can't be who God called me to be. We're going to go deeper next week. We'll talk about more things. But one of the things we're going to talk about are the devastating effects of discouragement. So I hope you'll come for that. Can we all stand together?